Today is the last day of the Advent season. Today is Epiphany, <clears throat> and uh, we will be concluding or capping off the Advent season with uh, the final, the final event that we have recorded, the final narrative that we have recorded of our Lord's infancy. That day when He is brought into the temple for his dedication. And so we will uh, <clears throat> be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through verse 38. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, give us a glimpse into this text. Give us a glimpse into this passage that we that we may see the good gifts that you give. Help us to see the people who are involved, the circumstances that are, that, are, that are being expressed here, and may we see ourselves not just in those circumstances, but also, Lord, as those also looking to Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. <clears throat> During Advent, we took a look at the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, that expressed in some way what his characteristics, his character, his ministry, his responsibilities would be. 
And now here we have him being presented at the temple. It is from this point forward that we won't have any kind of a narrative about his life until he's 12 years old. And so this, according to the Holy Spirit, is one of the significant pieces of how we need to understand our Lord, how we need to understand uh, our, our Christ, uh, the one who has come for us. And so he's brought to the temple on the eighth day and presented to Almighty God. That's what's taking place here, that his mother and father are bringing him into the temple. Now, in the Old Testament law, that meant receiving the sign of the covenant, but also it meant an offering being made on behalf of this man-child who is who is uh, presented to the Lord, because we're told in law, even as it expressed here in verse 23, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so what we have is his mother and his stepfather being faithful according to the law of Moses in order to bring him, uh, in order to fulfill the covenant and to meet their obligations before the Lord, even as a baby, even as a baby, through his mother and his stepfather, our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God in the flesh, was fulfilling all righteousness. He said that to John the Baptist when uh, he went to be received, went to be baptized by John the Baptist, and John looked at him and said. I don't need, you don't need to be baptized by by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said to him, let us do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Even from a baby, our Lord was fulfilling all righteousness. God's covenantal provision to you and me is such that over these details, he superintended that the law would be fulfilled, that when Christ was offered on the cross, Every aspect of the law of Moses would have been satisfied by this Savior of ours. We shouldn't look at a situation like this and go, oh, how quaint, they're taking the baby to the temple. This is our salvation. And so it's helpful to to remember that. There is no part of our Lord's life which is not the fulfillment of righteousness, even in his infancy. All his obedience was for our salvation. Parents, when you presented your children to the Lord for baptism, when you presented your children to the Lord in order to dedicate them and devote them to the Lord, you looked to the Lord to make promises and to see his promises fulfilled. You made promises. Keep those promises. Keep those promises. Fulfill the righteousness that you said you would fulfill. Lead your children to Christ. Talk about the things of God at the dinner table and as you walk along the path of life. Pray with your children and pray for your children. Make certain your children are active in worship. Forget the football games and the soccer games. Forget all of that distracting nonsense. Because ultimately what's at stake is their soul. And therefore, make sure that their souls are cared for, which are far more important than than they get playtime on the court or in the field at the next competition. Children, 
When your parents presented you to the Lord, they made promises. They made promises for your blessing. They made promises for your blessing. But that blessing doesn't come about so that you may do as you please. That blessing is for you to pursue God on your own with every ounce of energy you have in your life. That's what it's for. You need to bless the day that your parents committed you to the God of the eternal covenant because only there is their life everlasting. So the Advent season began with Isaiah crying out, Comfort, comfort my people. With this context of the fulfillment of righteousness and the fulfillment of the law of Moses, old Simeon and old Anna meet this young family in the temple and state gladly, even state with relief, that here, finally, is that comfort, encouragement, consolation. Here, even as Simeon says, is the consolation of Israel. So what I wish us to see here in this passage this morning is that Christ is that long-awaited consolation for Israel, for us, a consolation of tested and tried souls. And therefore, because he's our consolation, you need to embrace him, to wonder at him, to speak about him, to look to him in hope. That's what you need to do. So we can work through this passage bit by bit. First of all, they come into the temple, and we have Simeon, as he comes across them, he receives this child, he reaches out, and he embraces him. He picks him up, and he holds him close. And he says, Lord, finally, finally I get to rest. Finally, here is my consolation and my relief, because here is the consolation of Israel. Here is the consolation for the whole world, even the world of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit had been upon him, and he was looking for this, and he then saw it, and he saw that now I can cross over the threshold and go into the next world because I have seen that which God has promised. One of the things that he is stating is that this is the consolation of Israel. He's speaking of a nation. He's speaking of a people. He's speaking of a community. Paul tells us that we're not talking about the land Israel, and we're not talking about the mere nation of all of those ethnic Jews. Paul says that not all Israel is Israel. What he's speaking of is that Israel are those who are the true believers, Those who are the ones who have been bought by the Lord, who have been claimed by the Lord. But even as that took place in history, we find that the history of the Israelites is checkered. It's checkered and it's riddled with all kinds of problems. For example, during the days of the judges, which the ladies are going to learn in the study, the the people were just riddled with issues of wanting to do their own thing and creating nothing but chaos in their culture, doing what was right in their own eyes. There was a line of kings that was given to these people, and these kings didn't walk with the Lord. They didn't do what was right. 
Many of them chased off after their own interests, and the result was that they introduced other problems into the nation. Jeremiah talks about the accumulated damage in Israel because of priests who didn't teach the law, priests who didn't really walk with the Lord, priests who didn't bless the people the way that they were supposed to, and therefore the people wound up facing exile, they wound up facing losing their inheritance, losing their blessing, and all of these things accumulated to give these people a complex to give these people a sense that God had abandoned them, that God had left them without anything. But Simeon takes up this child and he says, here is the consolation of God. Not getting our own way, not having our land, not having all these things. The consolation of God is this Christ. And he embraces him. He receives him. Here's who I have been looking for, who we have been looking for, he says. This is your promise. Now set me free since I've seen your salvation. And even as the Bible says in the Gospel of John, as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We need to receive the Lord even as Simeon picks him up and receives him. In essence, Simeon says, everything that you put your people through has led us to this day. Everything that you put your people through has led us to this healing. You have healed them all in this one who comes to save. Christ is your only consolation. Only if you embrace him. What trials and difficulties have your people been through? What trials and difficulties have your people been through that have become the foundation of your life? the foundation of your identity? What griefs and sorrows have attended your history that you have inherited as a part of your history, as you've inherited as a part of who you perceive yourself to be? I've heard a good number of testimonies from African Americans who have a profound sense of inferiority because their skin is brown and their hair is curly. Their ancestors were slaves, mistreated, counted as nothing but property. And that carried forward through generations and affected how they viewed themselves. In other cases, I've learned of those whose family history is riddled with drunkenness, transgenerational sin, still others where the family legacy is violence and abuse, which lays a sorrow and a trial of vulnerability upon the heart. And the only consolation, the only consolation and the only comfort from that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ who consecrates and preserves us. So we can look at our history as a church and we can ask the question, what hope do we have? There are churches who have a history of difficult controlling leaders where members of the church have just given up on the possibility of a shepherd who loves them. Do you have a fear or a deep sorrow or even depression because of these kinds of things and how they could affect you or maybe how they will impact your future relations? There are transgenerational sins. There are transgenerational problems. 
and they shape us, and they give us identity, and we struggle with them, and they are griefs, and they are sorrows to our hearts. Christ is your consolation and your comfort. Christ, and Christ only, is your relief. Embrace him. Receive his family lineage and rejoice in the salvation of God. He is the consolation of Israel, the consolation of the Gentiles. Take him to yourself to be the consolation which covers the trials and sorrows of your history as well. The second thing we see is that Christ is the consolation for the present, for our own souls, and for the hardships that you currently face. Look at this. This is really very interesting. I think it's, I think it's telling that the scripture says to us in verse 24 that Mary and Joseph, bringing the child into the temple, comes to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, or two young pigeons. Now, if you really look at the passage in Leviticus, what you find is that the offering was to be a, a, a ram or a goat. But there was an allowance made for turtle doves or pigeons for those who were in poverty. That's what that was for. And so this is what Mary and Joseph bring. They bring their child, and they are in poverty, but they are fulfilling the law with what they have. They are fulfilling the law with what is expected of them for what they have. So here is a burden that they've got that is their own poverty. And there's a psychological weight that comes along the soul because of something like that. A sorrow of not being able to provide for loved ones. Simeon, it was revealed to him, this burden of revelation, for some time, you will not pass the threshold of death until you have seen the Lord's Christ. And so here is this anticipation and this burden of waiting. He didn't get that word from the Lord like a couple of days before. He'd been carrying this for a while. He'd been carrying it, putting up with the observable sorrows in his culture, what the Romans were doing, what the Jews were doing, what his own people were doing in terms of self-righteousness and self-religious activities, even maybe even speaking to them, knowing that he himself didn't have the power to change them. Even as Jeremiah, when he was walking among the people prior to their exile, was proclaiming to them the truth of what was going to happen when the Babylonians came in, himself weeping for his people because he could not change their hearts. And so Simeon's got the burden of looking around him and feeling the weight of the sins of his culture and the sins of his people. I don't know how we can look around our culture and not feel the weight of what's going on here. How can we become so desensitized to such rampant outward wickedness and just count it as something that's half semi-normal? I don't, the only way we can do that is to ignore the word of God, to ignore the testimony of the Spirit in us, 
How can we not grieve over that and feel the weight of it? Simeon has felt such a same thing. And then there is Anna. Anna who comes with profound loss and aloneness. Having lived with her husband only seven years, and then he dies. And now she's widowed until she's 84 years, always in the temple, always fasting and praying. The burden of having no one to care for you. The sorrow of having no one to share your hurts. Loss of a husband, having no son to care for you. Sometimes there's just the abandonment of friends. People that won't be around. They find something other to do than to be with you. My wife works with kids who grew up in refugee camps. Their life was in a tent and in a squalor, in a dusty place. That's what their life was. Watching their parents, watching their parents' life ebb away, wondering if there ever would be relief. In some cases, these kids have grievous memories of a dad being dragged off by a rebel or by rebels with weaponry and then never seeing their dad again. Getting a testimony from them along the lines of, well, my parents were killed, now I don't have anybody. We can't imagine the wound to the soul from something like that. But some of these kids smile and enjoy life because they know they belong to Jesus. That's their consolation. He's the one who heals their hearts. He's the one who heals the wound. When Simeon calls the baby Jesus the consolation of Israel, he uses a word that we recognize from another context. He calls Christ the paraclesis. The the similar word is the paraclete, the name given to the Holy Spirit, the one who's the comforter, the one who's the counselor, the one who guides. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. That's the kind of consolation that God sends to his people a comforter and a counselor who will live with them forever. And that's a very present consolation for you and me. Are you grappling with loneliness? Have you been abandoned? Are you grappling with having lost friends, whether through death or whether just being abandoned because they've got something better to do? Are you struggling with the loss of a loved one with whom you shared life and now you don't have anyone to share that with? Christ is your consolation. Christ is the only comfort who will really heal the wound of that, the, the, the wound in your soul, the relief of all those sorrows. Out of that consolation, these people bear witness of God's promise to the keeping of the promise. God keeps his promises. You need to take your sorrows and your wounds and carry them to Christ, who is your comfort and your consolation. The last thing we see, we've seen a consolation for the things in the past, a consolation for things present, and we see a consolation for the future. Listen to what Simeon says in this passage, verse 34 through 35. 
Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from the hearts of many be revealed. Opponents of God will be conquered. That's what it says here. It will be for the, for the fall of many. There will be people who will be raised up to give testimony to the Lord. The rising of many. This is all in the future that God will do this mighty work. And he will do it through this sword which will pierce his mother's soul. That sword is the cross. That sword is the cross. The loss that Mary will experience will be a blessing to the world. The loss that Mary experiences will be a blessing to each and every soul who looks to Christ. For this speaks of his death. As he was presented to the Lord in the holy temple here, he will be nailed to the cross as an accused criminal in 33 years. And yet he will still be holy. Thus he is the holy sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there will be many who will profess this design of God as being a great blessing, a great consolation, acknowledging his ways and walking according to them. As we look at this passage and we see God's consolation for the past, for those transgenerational sins and that collective ruin that seems to harm us, for the present, for our own woes and our own sorrows and our own hurts, and for those things that will be given comfort in the future, we see in this passage a consolation for the whole world. The whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. Consolation of Israel and the hope and the light for the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus Christ. As this season comes to a close, as we end the Advent season, and we have the epiphany, the revealing of the glorious Son in the temple, look to him, embrace him, speak of him as the true comfort. True comfort for yourself, true comfort for your children, true comfort for your loved ones, true comfort for your neighbors, for each and every one of us. He is the comfort of the world. Look to him and him alone. Let's pray together.